Well, hello, nibblings. It's Ben. I just launched a new podcast called Steamy Stories. It's a collection of gay romantic stories that I narrate, and the teaser is so bonkers, it's like soaked in testosterone, forged in the deep like pits of magma of some fraternity house. It's I'm just going to play it right now. It's so absurd. Welcome to Steamy Stories, the podcast where bromance becomes bromosexual. <laughs> I came up with that. Ever wondered what a sexy stableman is thinking? Or what the two hottest guys in school really get up to on prom night? Let's just say you're in the right place. Each episode will be a new steamy story written by J.C. Calciano, the creator of Steam Room Stories, and narrated by me, Ben Palacios. So subscribe now and lose yourself in hot, bromantic bliss. Later, bro. It's fun, it's cheeky, it's sexy. If you want to listen to Steamy Stories Podcast, search Steamy Stories wherever you get your podcasts or go to steamystoriespodcast.com. Ask your gay uncle, 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 ask him all the questions that you have in your brain. Ask your gay uncle, you know that your uncle will do his very best to explain. He'll do his very best to explain. Ben, what episode is this? Episode 36. 36. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 36, it's not a prime number, Ben. Definitely not. It's divisible by two. It's divisible by six. It's divisible by, I don't know, nine. 12. Yeah, 12. Nine? Doesn't nine go into it? Four times nine? What's four times nine? What is this, a math podcast? Come on, Tommy. (laughs) We want to compensate our creators for all their hard work. And by creators, I mean Tommy, me, and our friendly neighborhood producer, Jackie. And you know what? We hate commercials. We hate them. Ask Your Gay Uncle is a commercial-free, listener-supported podcast. So if you enjoy the pod, make a donation at askyourgayuncle.com. Listener questions, listener questions. Ask us your questions. This question is from Tom, not me, in Berkeley. What are your thoughts on gays over COVID? (laughs) Ben, why don't you tell our nibblings what gays over COVID is, for those who don't know? Tommy, is this the first you're hearing of gays over COVID? No, uh uh-uh. Really? When I read the question a few weeks ago, that was the first time I'd heard of it. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is new to you. Well, for those who don't know, um, gays over COVID is an example of COVID vigilanteism where people are using social media to publicly call out and shame pandemic rule breakers. So specifically, gays over COVID is an Instagram account that posts videos and pictures of gay men who've flocked to Florida, Tulum, Puerto Vallarta, etc., flouting public health recommendations and partying maskless amidst the deadly COVID pandemic. COVID vigilantes are taking to social media, shaming others for traveling, partying, and not wearing a mask. Some say the movement has gone too far. Whose place is it to be a judge, be a jury? Some of it may be justified. Some of it is not justified. The risk is who gets to decide. And so while some call it shaming, others call it accountability. Gaze over COVID specifically has 136,000 followers and has been mentioned on ABC, KTLA, and other news networks. It's become a pretty big deal. A couple examples of posts by Gays Over COVID. A Puerto Vallarta party boat full of gay... Puerto, Puerto Vallarta. Puerto? Puerto. Yeah, but we're American, so we say Puerto Vallarta. This is what we do. 
Oh my gosh, that's so horrible. Don't be that bad white person. Tommy, do you say Los Angeles or do you say Los Angeles? That's because it's in the United States. But yeah, Puerto but Vallarta, do you say Paris or Paris? It's the same fucking thing. No, it's not. It the way we do in our no, language. No, it's not. No, it's yes, not. Yes, it is, Tommy. Okay, go. So a, a couple specific examples that uh, especially incensed people. A Puerto Vallarta party boat full of gay guys sank. A sinking party boat with 60 people on board off the coast of Puerto Vallarta. Nobody was hurt, but there were a lot of jokes. Oh, I remember that. In August, actor-singer Todrick Hall posted videos of him partying maskless in a club with friends, and that got picked up by gays over COVID and reposted. In November, Instagram star Dr. Mike was caught partying in Miami. He later issued an apology because of the outrage. I messed up. I really did. And I need to do better. Over New Year's, when LA hospitals were at their breaking point, photos were leaked of a Cedar sinai transplant ICU nurse partying unmasked in Puerto Vallarta with a group of his friends. And now, as vaccinations are rolling out, Gays Over COVID is calling out young, healthy gay guys for finding ways to skip the line and get vaccinated. So I was just on Gays Over COVID, and a couple days ago, porn star Cade Maddox posted a video of himself getting the vaccine in his car, saying, quote, if you live in California and want to get the vaccine, just sign up to be an Uber Eats driver. They qualify, end quote. So that's Cade Maddox basically recommending skipping the line by masquerading as an essential worker. Wait, what kind of eating? Eating ass? Was that an Uber Eats joke? <laughs> Porn star, eating ass. I didn't get that. I was in the land of Cade Maddox <laughs> masquerading as somebody he's not in order to get the vaccine. Have you I mean, ever it, seen any of his videos? Have you seen any of his videos? Oh, totally. Totally. Oh, well, I've never heard of him. It brings to mind like Billy Zane in the movie Titanic grabbing somebody else's child and being like, women and children on the lifeboats, please let me on. You know, it's like that oh, yeah. kind of mentality. Yeah. yeah. And there's so much more I'm not even done. L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti was asked in a press conference this question about basically gays over COVID. Here's the question and his answer. A lot of members of the LGBTQ community went to Puerto Vallarta and were seen without masks and without uh, any kind of protections in regard to COVID. Uh, I wanted to know what you had to say to the LGBT community who continue to do this and be part of that. Thank you. Sure, let me work backwards. Obviously, you know, a community is much bigger than a group of people. If they happen to be LGBTQ, that's, you know, um, that's a good thing. And uh, there's no issue that towards the LGBTQ community per se. This is not a time to be partying anywhere. Don't do it. I've said from the beginning of this, don't be stupid. I know how tough it is right now. I know how much people need to be together. I know how much they want to be together. But if people die, they will never be together. Mm. So the guy who runs the Gays Over COVID account, Todd Masterson, was even interviewed on ABC. I think pointing out people doing bad things or people doing things that we consider wrong isn't shame, it's just accountability. I know that a lot of people had plans to go to Mexico and had reservations and flights and everything booked and they saw how the internet was treating people that were breaking quarantine and they canceled all those plans. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here with gays over COVID. Um, there's the element of like call out culture and cancel culture that's involved with it. There's the like vigilanteism involved with it. And then there's also the notion that like, maybe it's actually making a difference because if the fear of being, you know, featured on gays over COVID outed for having fled somewhere and partied without a mask on deters people from doing that and therefore saves lives, then 
perhaps it's worthwhile. Hmm. Here's my take on it. It's certainly not just gay guys who are over COVID. Throughout the pandemic, people have been congregating in super spreader church events and super spreader weddings against public health recommendations. Humans are social creatures and everybody is struggling to maintain social distancing. Nobody's perfect, especially me. At the end of the day, people are going to do what they feel comfortable doing. Even just within my family and friends, I saw a wide range of comfort with COVID exposure and risk. As you know, Tommy, at the beginning of COVID, I was militant, sticking to my five-person yeah. pod, stocking up on food, wiping down doorknobs, and sanitizing every single grocery out of the bag. Yeah. But by the fall, I became so stir-crazy, I subleased my apartment and moved to Mexico for three months. Fortunately, I did not end up on gays over COVID. <laughs> I certainly could have. Yes, I remember you talking about, oh yeah, I was in a bar. And I was like, Ben, you're going to a bar? And he said, yeah. It was It was like I had to push my way through to get to the inside and nobody was wearing a mask. Yeah. So Tom and Berkeley, if you're hoping that I'm going to say gays over COVID is either good or bad, I'm sorry to disappoint. I think that this is something for everybody to gauge for themselves based on their own comfort levels with things. Mm. Oh boy. You know, it just is, it's just such a deep subject, right? It's like, why can't we take care of each other? Right? I think that's a part of the question behind this for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, for those of you who have listened to our previous episodes, you'll know I, I was in a car accident and my friend was killed. And you don't want to carry that around. You don't want to carry around the fact that you did something that might have given someone COVID. You know, having lived through HIV, you don't want to be the person that infects the other person that kills them. You mm -hmm. just don't want that. Mm -hmm. And if it means that you put on a fucking condom, if it means you pull out before you come, if it means that you don't have sex, which is what we did back then. Or nowadays, if it means getting on prep, getting tested regularly. Right. And if it means wearing a mask or not going to a party because, you know, people are, are not going to be safe or what you determine safe there, then then do that. I am a fan of it. I'll say yes, absolutely. Gaze over COVID. When you say you're a fan, you're a fan of the notion of like the vigilanteism side of it, exposing. Absolutely. Yep. Uh -huh. Yeah. If somebody's doing reckless behavior, um, out them, right? I, I, like it, in Queer Nation, we outed people right and left in the 80s and 90s. It was, you know, and these are the people who were making policy and making laws and were the ostensibly on the outside homophobes and on the inside, they were the ones who were often the, the you know, the, the, the gay clubs or hiring escorts or, you know, cruising whatever the bathroom was and sucking cock. And, you know, it's like that... Mm -hmm. That hypocrisy, oh, infuriated me. Yeah. I think the similar here is someone is doing reckless behavior that could be endangering other people. And so that's the parallel to me. And so, yes, out them. Let them know that the world is watching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So were you outing, when you talk about Queer Nation in the 80s, yeah. were you outing specifically just politicians that were trying to limit the rights of gay people? Or were you outing people with HIV? No, uh, no, not outing people with HIV. No, you know what I mean. I if this feels like we're comparing two different things. Here. Well, if we're well, it would be a direct parallel if it was HIV. But I'm just talking about doing behavior that is not good for other people. Mm -hmm. 
so take this a step further. If they're outed, if they're on gaze over COVID and they lose their job as a result, like, well, here's an example of this. Uh, gay Republican congressional candidate George Santos partied mm-hmm. at the Mar-a-Lago New Year's Eve party. And the New York Times shared photos of him there, photos which Santos himself posted on his campaign Twitter account. It's not like they were private photos. The New York Times just further shared them. And Santos claims that his fiance was fired from his pharmacist job because of this, claiming that he's he's being persecuted. Hmm. You know, so um, obviously dumb to attend a New Year's Eve party at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> Yeah, the, the call-out culture element of it is is kind of interesting to me. It's like, where where do you draw the line? And also, if what is acceptable, for example, in Florida is different than what's acceptable in New York or California. Or Mexico. Like, like or, or in Mexico, exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, when mm-hmm. I say acceptable, I literally mean, like, socially and legally acceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also put recommendations in, in America. We put recommendations in place, and they were different in every state yeah. and every city. Yes. We did not put laws in place. Right. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why gays over COVID exists. It's like, if there aren't actual laws preventing people from doing this, preventing people from traveling, ensuring people wear their masks and stuff, right. then people are going to do what they feel comfortable doing. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why vigilantism ends up cropping up, because it's like the, it's like the last resort of the community right. to keep others in check. It is a way of holding people accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. That, I think, can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what happens as vaccinations are rolling out and things open up and how this morphs and changes based on those circumstances. Right. Because the reality is everybody's comfort level with opening back up is going to be different. People are going to be ready to be social and gather at different times. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's just their own personal comfort level with risk, whether it's their age or their health or whatever it is, or whether they've been vaccinated or not. Yeah. It feels like a um, a me too thing. How so? In that there's a bringing awareness to something around accountability. So like with me too, I think it's, you know, it's stepping up and saying, oh yeah, Andrew Cuomo felt me up also. Oh yeah, Donald Trump slid his hand down my whatever also. You know, it's like stepping forward and saying, here is how... Um, I have been mistreated and how this person has done something that is egregious. It feels like it's the same thing, just in a different structure, a different manifestation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. it's interesting because it makes you reflect on what is egregious. Where do you draw that line? Mm. Well, and it's different for each person, you know? It is. is. Is getting COVID tested and flying to Mexico and renting an Airbnb on the beach with a couple of your friends... Is that egregious? Maybe for some people. Yeah. Or dangerous. Yeah. It is not an easy thing, you know, and we're not, we're, we're certainly not going to solve it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I do like about gays over COVID is, is that it's made people reflect on this. Yes. It's used, it's used humor and social media in a way that has made people really think twice. Yeah. And if that's all that it does, then they've succeeded. Yeah. Thanks, Tom, for the question. Thank you, Tom. Don't end up on gays over COVID. (laughs) Go ahead and ask your gay uncle. This question is from Jessica in Madison. Hi, gunkles. You seem to be the creative types who could help. Aw. 
Uh, we're homosexuals. Of course we are. <laughs> <laughs> I am in a nice one-bedroom apartment, but it's looking a bit plain now because I'm working from home and I'm here all the time. It's still winter and will be for a while. So what can I do to spruce it up? Some kind of inexpensive home improvement kind of thing. I don't have a lot of money, but I do have a lot of time. <laughs> Thanks. Love your show. That's from Jessica in Madison. Oh, Jessica, thanks. Yeah, Madison. Yeah, winter is going to be there for a while. It's going to be winter till like nuts. November. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll just, I'll start again. You get one day of summer, don't you? Isn't that right? Oh, boy. You know, I'm going to go off of a lot of what my mom did, Susie, Ben's grandmother, Susie Truss. I remember just about twice a year, we would rearrange the furniture. And I'm like talking big shit. Like we're moving pianos. We had these, they're, they're called grand uprights, which is, the, they're not the little spinet ones where they're like, you can look over them while playing the piano. No, these are like five feet, six feet high motherfuckers. And we're like <laughs> rolling them from one end of the house all the way over to the other end of the house. You know, couches from like the sun porch and we would move it into the living room. We would take stuff from up in the bedrooms and bring it on down. That's so funny, Tommy. When I was in like middle school, one of my favorite things on like a Sunday was just to rearrange all the furniture in my room. Everything. Oh. Take all the books out of the bookshelf, move it to another side. I, I mean, like I, sh I should have known I was a total homo. I was like an interior decorator at 11 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, something else that, that um, Susie Trust did... At our library, they actually loaned out paintings. And so my mom would get a different they painting once out a week. paintings? Yes, yes. Isn't that groovy? Well, Jessica yeah. and Madison, if you can find that, that'd be amazing. I love yeah. that. I know. But I was thinking, Jessica, you know, switch artwork with your friends or neighbors That's or so family. Fun. Speaking of painting, Jessica, one idea I had is grab a bucket of paint, like an accent color that'll really stand out like moss green or lavender or burnt orange and paint a few things in a specific room of your apartment that same color to tie them all together so it might be like one oh. wall as an accent wall or just a window frame or just the legs of your table or just the drawers of your bedside table and then for added shabby chic points you can once the paint dries you can use an electric sander to sand down the edges of the new color so that the previous color or the raw wood shows through i like that and then you've got like four or five things in your room that all have that one color in common. That's cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of color, this was at a radical fairy gathering that I went to. Um, this was in Australia. And they had this huge house and a bunch of guys lived there. And over the archway that went into the dining room, they had all these stuffed animals that were like nailed to the wall in a, a, like the, you know, sort of Crayola crayon color arrangement. So it's like this rainbow of these wacky ass stuffed animals, you know, and you know, stuffed animals, you can get tons at any goodwill and nail them to the wall or yeah. tie them together. And, you know, their arms are holding. And so you have like this giant like boa of these stuffed animals that you can drape over your furniture or just have on the floor. <laughs> I mean, it depends on how wacky you are, Jessica. Totally, totally. Um, another thing that I love doing and I used to do with the kids that I nannied for is you can actually draw on mirrors and tiles with dry erase markers and it just wipes clean off. So in your bathroom, on your bathroom mirror or in your room or anywhere you have tiles, maybe even in your kitchen, backsplash or whatever, you can like write little messages or like make little illustrations or draw things. And every day you can just wipe it off and make a whole new one. Did that work on, would that work on a window also? Probably. I don't see why not. Yeah. yeah. Glass, yeah. mirrors, tiles. Yeah. 
Huh. Just make sure not to draw on the grout in between the tiles because sometimes it does oh, linger right. there and you have to scrub a little harder. But <laughs> it sounds like you found that out the hard way. Yeah, yeah. You can even draw on toilets with dry erase markers. <laughs> wow, pee here, arrow. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> in that like crafty painting things, make some new curtains. Go go to Joanne Fabrics or whoever the fabric store is that's near you and just buy a yard and a half of material and there's your there's a new set of curtains. That's a little more of an investment if you're like getting a sewing machine though. Well, no, you don't have to. You can uh, you can sew it by hand. You can fold it over and use a stapler. <laughs> Super DIY. Yeah, right? Or or you can do fabric tape. You can buy mm -hmm, fabric tape true. or fabric glue. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And one of the things that I have in my apartment is I've got these little spring nubby curtain rods that I got from the hardware store, like five bucks. Mm -hmm. So I have two sets of windows in each of my rooms and they have matching curtains. And so sometimes I'll be like, I want to take the pink hearts and put them in the living room. And now the blue gingham one, they're going in my office. You move your curtains around. I move my curtains around. <laughs> yeah, very mix and match. Lighting is key. So uh, oh, if you got yes. any little Christmas lights or colored oh, lights yes. or those like little, you know, those fun pepper lights or that, you know, look like the Eiffel Tower. Or... There's also those hue light bulbs. And I think they're super cheap on Amazon or wherever you want to buy them. And you connect them to an app on your phone and you can change you can change them to any color you want. What? Uh-huh. It's a normal light bulb. You can put it in any light socket and then it connects to an app on your phone and you can change it to any color. No way. This yes, is a light yes, bulb, a regular like Philips light bulb. It's not Philips. GE light bulb. It's not Philips. The one I'm Whatever. thinking of is called Hue, but there's different brands. Oh, They're expensive. Oh, it's see. like 10 bucks or 15 bucks for this light bulb. Oh, okay. But it yeah, lasts yeah, a yeah. lot longer and it's LED. And you can even, let's say, have like five or 10 different Hue light bulbs all around your house. And you can like create different room settings on the app and be like, I want setting number one that's for romance. And suddenly they're all like purple and red. And oh, then setting my number two gosh. that's for wake up time. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you wrote in, um, Jessica. I'm going to go buy that. That's amazing. You can turn into a lighting designer. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, if you have any other ideas for Jessica in Madison, how to, on a budget, spruce up her apartment, send them in, and we will mention them in the upcoming episodes. Good luck, Jessica. Hey, it's your friendly neighborhood producer, Jackie. We hope you're enjoying Ask Your Gay Uncle. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512 981-7332. Or you can email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. You can find us on Instagram at askyourgayuncle or Twitter at AYGU podcast. Thanks for listening. The Hey, everybody, this is when me, the old person, asks Ben, the young person, <laughs> questions about my generation, and Ben does the same for me, and we try and stump each other with things that happened during our time period. Okay, so this generation gap is game-themed. Board games, computer games, game shows on TV, games, 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 games. Yeah. We are a total game family. Oh, yeah. I mean, your family, Tommy's my uncle, listeners, most of you know that. <laughs> my family was a total game family, in part because Tommy's family was a total game family. Yeah. So, do you want to go first? Okay. Question one. What was the name of, I think it was the first video game, someone write in, let me know that I'm wrong. Um, what was the name of the first video game that later became the first TV console game? 
Atari Pong? Yeah! Ding! Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. One of the most successful computer games in the 90s had no real goal. There was no way to win or lose. You'd create a family, build a house, forge relationships, and watch your characters live, play, fight, and fuck. What was this game called? Life. That's a really good guess. There was a board game that was really big in the 90s called The Game of Life. No, that was big when I was growing up also. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah. Realize. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not sure of this one? You literally would create characters, and everybody would, like, I would make my own family. I would literally measure out the rooms in my house and, like, just make a exact computer replica of my house. Really? Yeah, yeah. And there was no goal. There was literally no goal. And people were obsessed with this game. This is like the pet rock of the video world. This game was called The Sims. You didn't, the you didn't Sims. This game was called The Sims and there were all these like future iterations and sequels of it and it was like the original like escape your life and create a digital life game. And after wow. the success of The Sims there have been so many. Minecraft is one of them. Uh World of Warcraft. I mean there's like all these games where you just like exist in this digital world and like escape your own. Huh. Okay, Bob Eubanks hosted this nighttime TV game show that was quite salacious in content. The contests were couples. What was the name of the show? Oh, oh, it's on the tip of my mind. Whose line is it anyway? What? No. Oh. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do one of the questions and maybe hint, it'll help you. Hint, yep, here hint. it is. Okay. So. What they would do is they would separate the husbands and the wives, and then they would ask them questions, and then the, the, the wife or the husband would return, and they would say the same question and see what the other person said. So Scruples? Was it scruples? No. So like a question would be like, would you say your husband is more urban or rural? So in one of them, Bob Eubanks said, what is the weirdest place you had the urge to make whoopee? And to make whoopee? Yeah. Does that mean have sex or fart? <laughs> not to fart that's a whoopee cushion no well, you know yeah yeah to to have sex yeah because back then you couldn't say that on tv right this is late 60s early 70s i don't even think you could kiss on tv at that point yeah pregnant ladies were like banished from the entertainment industry oh yeah yeah you couldn't <laughs> be pregnant on tv so here's the answer that one person said when asked what's the weirdest place you had the urge to make whoopee and she said in the ass <laughs> come on get it yeah that's right and everybody else was like in the shower in the car um in the bathroom sink you know in my backyard and she was like in the ass <laughs> did she really say the word ass? Yes, she did. Yes, they beeped it. And you can see, like, these are, this is all on YouTube. You can you can watch all That's this. That's so funny. And it's, it's funny. People just, like, are howling. Wow. Yeah. What's I the name of the show, babe? Name of the show. Name of the show. I don't know. I don't know. The Newlywed Game. The Newlywed Game. I have heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Okay, we are so in sync, Tommy, because my second question was also a game show game. Okay, good. So one of the most popular game shows of the 90s and 2000s was a game called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Oh, yeah. Which I think it might even still be running, or at least it's syndicated, hosted by Regis Philbin. Yeah. The original show enabled contestants to use three lifelines when they needed help answering a trivia question. Mm -hmm. The three lifelines were 50-50, Ask the Audience... And what? Um, you call a person. It's a support thing. I don't remember the actual phrase of it. Uh-huh. 
I'm going to take a call, Regis. Ring, ding, I'm, ding, 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 I'm ring, gonna ring, 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 ring. Do a ring. Make a phone call. Ah, uh, you're so close. I'll give it to you. Phone a friend. Phone a friend. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a good show. Next one. Who is the team in 1972 that won the Super Bowl? And they are the only team ever to win it with a perfect record, meaning they didn't lose a single game in the season, which is 14-0. Oh, they were 14-0. No. And they went on to win the Super Bowl, and no one else has ever done that. Oh, no. The only thing I like less than football is watching football, Tommy. Yeah. There's no Can way you think I know. Of, I know. Can you think of any football teams? The Patriots? No. That's all. That's all I got. Sorry. The Miami Nets. <laughs> uh, sea Lions. Close. 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 Really? Yeah. Uh, wave catchers. Wave dancers. Water animal. Water animal. Ah, it was whales. also a TV show. Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Dolphins. Yes. Yeah. Did I get that one? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure with a lot, very charitable. a lot of coaching. Very charitable. A lot of coaching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here's my third one. One of my favorite 90s movies is Jumanji. About oh, yeah. a board game with magical powers. Mm-hmm. It stars Robin Williams and a young Kristen Dunst, who's very, very good in that movie, I have to say. At one point, the dice are rolled and a message appears on the board game. I'm going to say the first part of the message and then you have to complete it. Oh, God. In the jungle, you must wait until the dice read Masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> How did I know you were going to do something like that? Oh, come on. Wait. What else is going to rhyme with wait? Wait or eight until the dice read eight. I mean, you're halfway there. It's in the jungle. You must wait until the dice read five or eight. Five or eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Okay. You might get this because I think I brought this up in maybe a moment in culture or something. What did Billie Jean King do? Billie Jean. She's just a girl but thinks that I am the one. Mm. But the kid is not my son. No, Michael. <laughs> what did Billie Jean King do? Yeah. Billie Jean King. What what are you doing? You're you're making you're making noises with your mouth and your hand. That's the sound Whoa. of the game. It's um It was actually one of the most famous games, uh sports games in the seventies. This what? was 1972. Yeah. This is like the mouth flute? <laughs> what is happening? No. What is this? That's this sound? Yeah. That's me trying to do a tennis ball getting hit by a tennis racket. Oh. Oh, that was a to- you totally threw me off there. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought this was like a musical like a body musical instrument. No, thing. no. Well, let me hear your tennis ball sound. Go. Whack. I don't know. <laughs> Tennis. No. Yeah, but what did she do? Did she win Wimbledon? Uh, nope. 1972. She might have. I'm just going to tell you. You're not going to get it. <clears throat> the Battle of the Sexes. You'll remember it. She did the Battle of the Sexes with Bobby Riggs. Bobby Riggs was a tennis star pro who was misogynistic and chauvinistic and said all these, you know, horrible things about women. And she was like, you know what? Women are just as good athletes as men. And I'm going to challenge you and we're going to play a game. And they did. They played a whole game uh, live in Houston. There were 90 million people who watched this show. Wow. 90 million. 
What great PR. <laughs> yeah, right? This is in 1972 when there were 209 million people in the country. 90 million. That's, that is more than, uh, I can't do the math. That's almost 50%. That's almost one in two people watched that. And she beat him every single set. Wow, Billie Jean King. Yeah. Okay, my next question. Good. My parents wouldn't get me a PlayStation 2 because they thought it would rot my brain. So on my 13th birthday, I asked all of my friends for Best Buy gift cards and bought one myself. One of the most popular PlayStation 2 franchises was a series of games where you drive around a city, stealing cars, running over pedestrians, and evading the police. What was it called? Uh, Jesus. I played this once. I had you play this once. I played this with you. Carjack, hijack, car crime, four wheelers. <laughs> GTA. Oh, Grand Theft Auto. Uh-huh. Right. That game was so goddamn fun. It was so fun. And it had like all the parents and teachers up in arms. It was like, it was the pariah of its time. It was like the oh, yeah. Manson. Oh, yeah. Everybody thought that it was going to be society's downfall. I remember playing that at your place, Ben. Mm-hmm. And like, all I wanted to do was run over people. Yeah, it's the most fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't try and drive straight. I just like wanted to see what yeah. happened if I drove off the yeah. bridge or into the, <laughs> the glass drugstore. Yeah, no rules. No rules. Okay, what was the commercial slogan for the game Battleship? Stoop your enemies. No. Can you find me? No. Uh, evade the Russians. <laughs> um, it was, you sunk my battleship. That's a lot more on the nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should have gotten that. It's in the title. Okay, my last one. The Parker Brothers game Monopoly mm. came out in 1935. My sister and I played it religiously, and I know you and your sisters played it as well, because my mom has told me stories. Yep. Monopoly is based on real-life streets from which American city? Atlantic City. Yay. Well done. Thanks. That was the Generation Gap Games. Games, 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 games. It's this is Stormy DeLavery. Uh, she is a was a butch lesbian who helped create quite a few movements and moments in culture and was a total badass woman. Uh, she was born in New Orleans in, in 1920 and died in 2014. She died when she was 94. Her mother was African-American and worked as a servant. And her father was in the family of where she worked. He was a white man. Her mother was African-American. And they eventually mm. got married. Now, this is at a time when it was illegal to be in an interracial relationship. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, this is 1920 in the South. Uh -huh. And they had Stormy. And they eventually moved to San Francisco and got married. The first thing that Stormy did that sort of stands out is when she was 18, she joined the circus. Like literally, I'm going to the circus. She joined Ringling Brothers Circus and was a pony rider. And wow. she did that for a while. Yep. And then got injured and quit. Um, you know, she was bullied relentlessly when she was growing up uh, because she... Uh, you know, was a butch and she was very masculine. She could pass for male or female, black or white. Hmm. 
Um, she was a singer and she became one of the first drag kings ever. Uh, she uh, worked for a review called the Jewel Box Review, and this was in the 30s and in Miami, and they played in major theaters throughout the United States. And she became the, the MC for this review. It was uh, billed as 21 guys and a gal. And she was the mm. gal, she was the MC, and she was um, dressed as a man. She was one of the first drag king performers. And she passed, totally passed. People would not know and she would always, you know, in that like La Cache Faux, Birdcage style, um, would expose themselves at the end so that the audience would find out what gender the people actually were. Mm -hmm. And this is a person, hey, everybody, go back to our episode 33, Talking Drag with Gay Spy Michael Seligman. Um, he talks about this club called Club 82, which was an underground drag bar run by a mob queen, Anna Genovese. And... Stormy performed there many, she did? many, many times. Yes, she did. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Connecting all the dots. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> she was the first person of color who was a part of the that review, the drag show. And it was a racially integrated drag show, which was the only one. And this was in the 30s, going all around um, doing that. So pretty extraordinary. She took that idea of the drag king and really brought it to life in, in her everyday world where she mm. would walk around in three-piece suits. And this is in the 50s where a woman would be walking around in suits when it was like, nope, uh-uh, you were wearing poodle skirts or, you know, dresses. They, people, women were not wearing pants back then. And Diane Arbus, who was a, a very famous photographer who took pictures of the disenfranchised and the underrepresented uh, really just fell in love with Stormy. And uh, there are tons of pictures of her in three-piece suits and men's outfits. And we're, we'll include links to some of these pictures. She just is, is so great. And she had a lot of different jobs. She was a bouncer, uh, an activist in terms of queer rights. And she, some people say, is the person who started Stonewall. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Not Sylvia Rivera. Not Sylvia Rivera or Marsha... Uh, um, P. Johnson. Marsha P. Johnson. Yeah. That it was... And you you might remember this uh, back to the one episode when we had uh, David on, who was there at Stonewall. This was in one of our first episodes, everybody. And uh -huh. oftentimes people say that it, there, there was this butch lesbian who was the one who incited the riot. And Stormy is the one who said... She was standing outside and a cop came up to her and said, move faggot, thinking that she was a guy. And she said, don't touch me. And he pushed her and she came back and punched him in the face. He fell to the ground and was bleeding. And that's what started the uprising. Hell yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah. And what she says of it, I love this quote. It was a rebellion. It was an uprising. It was a civil rights disobedience. It wasn't no damn riot. Wow. Yeah. And so after that, she got a gun permit and she started patrolling the streets in the East Village and in the village wow. up until she was in her 80s. And wow. she uh, was carrying a gun and she would stop harassment. And she called it ugliness. Yeah. She would stop ugliness. Yeah, ugliness from happening. Yeah. 
Talk about vigilantism. Yes, right, right. She had a partner of 25 years. Her name was Diane and she was a dancer. And, you know, so she is credited with uh, helping Stonewall. She's credited with bringing the, the world of drag to um, uh, legitimizing it and in particular drag kings and creating that mm -hmm. as a modality and mm -hmm. also um, bringing women out of just wearing dresses and into pants. And that's mm -hmm. through these images of Diane Arbus that she took mm -hmm. of her. Yeah. And she died, she died of a heart attack when she was 94. And this is, I'm just gonna read a bit from the New York obituary. Okay. Tall, androgynous and armed, she held a state gun permit. Ms. DeLavery roamed lower 7th and 8th avenues and points between up into her 80s, patrolling the sidewalks and checking in at lesbian bars. She was on the lookout for what she called ugliness, any form of intolerance, bullying, or abuse of her baby girls, as she called them. She literally walked the streets of downtown Manhattan like a gay superhero. She was not to be messed with by any stretch of the imagination. Wow. And that's from the New York Times obituary on her death. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, she is, she's my gaunty of the week as well, because here is this person who, and you'll see in the pictures, everybody, like she was beautiful and she was handsome and she like could, <laughs> I like it when people can be a lot of different things. And mm -hmm. she was a lot of different things. And she um, believed in herself doing what she loved. And she didn't care if it ruffled feathers. She didn't care if it ruffled feathers. Yeah. What would, have been like, what would it have been like for you, Tommy, as a youth, if you had had a real aunt in Stormy Delavery? Oh, Ben, my life would have been so different. Yeah. I probably would have done drag like full time, like really gone for it. Um, certainly would have come out sooner, a decade earlier. Mm -hmm. I think for much of my life, I said no to things when I really wanted to be saying yes. Like, I wanna be a performer, I'm gonna move to New York. I wanna be an actor, I wanna do this. I wanna be a director, whatever, whatever that big yes was. That was, it was an inherent, absolute, unequivocal yes that I was not able to follow for various reasons. And I think if I had a, a gaunty or a gunkle as powerful and as solid as Stormy was, mm -hmm. um, I would have gotten some good counseling on how to really follow my beliefs, even if it pushed people away or scared people. Hmm. You know, Ben, you're, you're, I would say you were raised in a really lovely way that you, that you do go after what you want, you know, and whether you were born with that ingredient or it was cultivated, um, or both of those things, but you go for what you want. And it's so beautiful to see. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sharing Stormy Delavery, Tommy. She sounds mm. just incredible. Yeah. The OG lesbian vigilante. Absolutely. Bye, Tommy. Bye, Ben. Bye, nibblings. Ask Your Gay Uncle is created by Tom Truss and Ben Palacios, with production support by me, Jackie Anders. Album artwork by Seth Shellhouse. Theme song and musical interludes by Ben Palacios and Dan Reuter. Special thanks to Matt Marr and everyone who sent us questions. 
If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332 or email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. Find us on Facebook at Ask Your Gay Uncle Podcast. More information at askyourgayuncle.com.